Welcome to the Living on the Creek podcast. I'm Roger Witt. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Podcast title, Sargum Making. Charlie Witt and his wife, Dale, and the children later moved a little further up Horselick Creek. They moved to what's known as the John Will Holler to rent a place to grow crops and do some farming. Charlie said it was good farmland. They raised corn on that land to feed the mules and cattle, hogs and chickens. These animals were also the meats that they had to eat. It didn't pay to get too attached to the animal. You were raising on the farm because you might just have it on your plate in a short while. They raised white corn on the farm that would later be taken to a mill and be ground for meal. This was to make their cornbread they bought their flour from the store. They also raised an acre of wheat with mules and horse-drawn equipment. They used a cradle to cut the wheat when it was ripe. The cradle fingers would cut the wheat off the stem and they tied it in bundles to dry. They sent the wheat to Richmond, Kentucky by Gilbert Alcorn, who was the only man in the whole area that had a truck. And he would get it ground into flour. The meal in Richmond would thrash and knock the seed out, and the seed was what was used to grind in the flour. They would bring the flour back home in paper sacks and stack it on a bench to make biscuits until it ran out. I guess there was no way to protect it from bugs, so they must just let the bugs have their part. I remember Frank telling me, I the bugs won't eat much. He'd look at you and just grin. Grandpa Charlie also grew sugar cane, They had to cut it at the right time of the year, strip it, grind it in a cane mill. The cane mill was turned by a mule with a pole that was attached to his harness. If the mule had been in a cane mill before, he knew what to do and would just go around and around while someone fed the cane stalks into the mill. Juice from the cane stalks would pour out on the other side, and they would pour the juice in a big pan and build a fire under it. When the juice got thick and they could raise it up out of the pan on a cane stalk and it would fall off the stick like a hair floating, it was ready to be put in buckets. This was the process to transform the cane into molasses or sorghum, as they called it back back then. If it sits around very long, it'll turn back into sugar. So they'd eat sorghum with about every meal. Frank and Ophelia and the children continued the molasses-making tradition for years. We never did change the process from the way they did it back then. I can remember that people would show up after about all the work was done when it was time for a batch of molasses to come off. Everybody would sit around for a few minutes and sop up that sorghum on a piece of cane stick and lick it off. You just dip up the foam, or the Joe foam they called it, The Joe foam was on top and it looked like a piece of candy floating on top of the molasses. I must not have known then what I know now or I would not have dipped my cane stick in that molasses twice. Everybody was double dipping or triple dipping. I know by experience that eating too much of the Joe foam would really make you sick because it was rich. When the molasses was ready to come off, they had to come off immediately, not later. The pace seemed to pick up very fast all of a sudden. 
I remember some of the men hollering with a big loud voice, Sargum coming off, everybody out of the way. If the molasses had spilled on you, they would burn you like hot grease or worse. When we heard, when us kids heard the hollering, we just got out of the way. Not because the molasses, molasses would burn us, but if we were in the way, when that pan came off and Frank happened to be coming by you, he would whack you right across the head. The molasses was cooked in a big long pan, probably four feet wide by six feet or eight feet long. It took several people to get this pan off the fire pit. The pan we used had horse shoes nailed on the side of the pan at each corner. And you run a big long wooden pole, fresh cut out of the woods through the horseshoes on each end and at least four men grabbed up that pan and set it off. They would sit the pan off on one corner and dip the molasses out with a dipper and strain it with a rag of some type as it went into the five gallon lard buckets and then later into jars. Those lard buckets were new and shiny and I thought that they were something special. Okay, I know it didn't take too much to impress me, but I was intrigued by those lard buckets. I really wanted to just get right down in one of those buckets and see how it felt to be in the bottom. When you looked down in those buckets, you could see three different reflections of yourself. Those lard buckets would be emptied after a while and the molasses would be put into pint, quart, and sometimes one gallon jars. People would seem to come from everywhere to buy molasses from Frank Witt. I don't think people had much money to buy with. I asked Frank one time if we were making any money on the sorghum. He laughed and said, I believe I go in the hole. In other words, we were losing money. I never liked the molasses until I got a little older, but I reckon everything gets to tasting better when you get older. Even things like beets and green beans. I reckon older people even like greens and spinach. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast. Thanks for listening. Thank mm-hmm. you.